Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the second sermon in our church's So Long Sin series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Good morning. My name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. We're in part two of our series saying so long to sin. Is your life sometimes filled with temptation and even sometimes missed expectation? And it's true that the enemies of God desire to bring you down, right? Attacking you, tempting you, attacking you, attempting you, and reveling in your fall. But that doesn't have to be that way. In fact, that's not God's desires, and it doesn't have to be your reality. And so in this series, we're looking at how to defeat sin or say so long to sin and even its eternal consequences. Our key verse for this series comes from Romans 6, 13. And it reads, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Today, so long sin, take Christ over self. Take Christ over self. Are there any do-it-yourselfers in the room? Just taking a net. We're going to expand our toolbox team. Keep them up. Keep them up. Yeah, they, no. <laughs> Anybody that mows your own grass, yeah? Changes your own oil. All right, here's what. Sews your own clothes. Anybody can do that? I got a rip. No, I'm just kidding. Well, this week I was talking with someone and they go, did you get a haircut? And I'm always a little leery when somebody asks that if they're like going to, you know, point out something like, mm-hmm, you know. And I felt like I could believe the best in this person. And I said, yes, I did. And I said, in fact, I try to get my haircut every two weeks because of the, you know, the silvery stuff that's coming out when it turned from more Salt than pepper. Anyway, it doesn't glow as bad. Anyway, and they're like, every two weeks, how much does that cost you? Who do you go to? And I was like, hmm, can you be nice if I tell you? And they go, okay, sure. I said, I cut my own hair. And they're like, really? And then one of those points, so if you've got advice on how I should cut my hair differently, I really don't want to hear it unless it's free that you're going to get somebody really good to do it. Because that was part of the next thing in our conversation. They were like, that must save a lot of money. I said, in fact, I've been doing that for almost 20 years. My parents got me some clipper, you know, like this. Anyway, I totaled it up at a conservative rate between three and $5,000 I've saved cutting my own hair over the last 20 years. I was like, man, that's the reason I can live this high-rolling lifestyle I do. <laughs> some of you may be fans of The Office. It got one. 
Got one. Some of you may recognize this quote from Dwight on that TV show. Why tip someone for a job I'm fully capable of doing myself? I can deliver food. I can drive a taxi. I can and do cut my own hair. Now, I tip my urologist because, anyway. (laughs) Right? So, I'm a little bit that way. I got a doctor that checks my heart, so if I need heart surgery, he's going to help me do that when I need it because I can't do that myself. I cut my own hair, but I don't do my own heart surgery. It feels like it's kind of an American value to be self-sustaining. Do y'all get that? Like, it's kind of a good thing. Or maybe that's just growing up in Alabama, or maybe just in the family I grew up in, or maybe, like, the university I attended had a creed that reads something like this. I believe that this is a practical world, and I can count only on what I earn. Right? So it's taught in our schools. Therefore, I believe in work and hard work. But radical independence or radical self-help have limited value. You can't be your own heart surgeon. Anybody ever tried? Right? Not only, like, you got to go under and, you know, be the expert, but oftentimes you even misdiagnose the issue. In fact, I dare say many of us here would improve our heart condition if we'd simply treat ourselves with better diet and exercise. But how many of you just Oh, that buffet looks good, right? Or, you know, it's hot out this summer. I'm going to forego exercise for the next eight months, you know? That's sometimes the case with our spiritual journey as well, especially when it comes to our sin. Sometimes we think, you know what? Mine's bad, but it's not as bad as that person. Right? We kind of compare. Or sometimes we rationalize and say, well, I've been doing this my whole life and it hadn't killed me yet. Right? Even with our sin. But like our medical prognosis or our heart surgeon analogy, we often misdiagnose ourselves and we can't even fix ourselves. Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, being successful and fulfilling your purpose are not the same thing. You can fully reach your personal goals. You can become a raving success by the world's standards and still miss your godly purpose in this life. You can have all the outward signs of success, but be rotting from sin within. So let's look at what the Bible says is the cure or the heart surgeon that we need. If you've got a Bible or the Bible app, I invite you to turn it on. We're going to look at the book of Romans. Today we're going to look into the uh, chapter 7, Romans chapter 7. You may recall N.T. Wright described Romans as a, a letter that's talking about God's righteousness. God's righteousness and how you and I, and especially the original audience, but you and I too, can participate in that. And in chapter 7, Paul, who's writing this letter, begins to shift into what the root cause of our ill health is, or spiritual ill health, and then talking about its cure. 
A little bit of background, many of those in the audience and Paul himself were Jewish or raised in that tradition. And you may know that the tradition or the practice of religion before Christ and in the Jewish tradition is a kind of sacrificial one where people would bring an offering of an animal that would be slaughtered and it was a kind of paying the punishment for the sin that you had committed, right? No matter how big the sacrifice, no matter how valuable it was, it did little to do what Christ can do, which is transform your heart to make it where you don't sin again. In fact, it became a religious experience to bring sacrifices again and again, day after day or year after year, because there was repeated sin. There were a few people folks that did okay, but most folks came in again and again. And so God's revelation of righteousness and the law was not the cause of that sin, but fulfilling those sacrifices did little to help you defeat it in its hold in your life. It was something like the law was like, you don't know if you've ever been sick and you say, hey, they put like a thermometer in your mouth or, you know, anyway. The thermometer doesn't make you sick, but it can tell you if your temperature's high and let you know that you've got a fever that's an indication of your sick. And so the law was like that. It didn't cure you. It just said, here's what's wrong with you. You coveted, you stole, you lied, you may have murdered, you may not have honored the Sabbath. And so it was an indicator. And Paul is saying, now God is bringing the cure Let's look at what that is. Romans 7, we're going to read verse 14 through 25. Follow along, I'm reading the New Living Translation. We're going to switch, switch your app to the NLT. But the words will also, excuse me, be on the screen above. Romans 7, 14 reads, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritually, spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if you know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does that sound like your life? Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So you see now, see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sin, nature, I am a slave to sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, this passage, Paul shifts from the thermometer of our sin to the diagnosis of the root problem, the I problem of our sin, and the ultimate cure, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Paul reaches the conclusion, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it reads, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. John Wesley stated in his sermon entitled Original Sin, God heals our atheism by the knowledge of himself and of Jesus Christ whom he has sent. By giving us faith, a divine evidence and conviction of God and the things of God, in particular, this important truth that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Let's look now at this passage from Romans and how we might learn from it and apply it in our life and say so long to sin by taking Christ over ourselves. If you got your worship guide either in paper or online, you can follow along with these points. There's a place for you to take notes, and I hope it'll be helpful for you as you apply it to your life. Number one, say so long sin, take Christ over self to heal your broken heart. To heal your broken heart. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sin nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Did you know that you and me and we all suffer from a broken heart? That our sin nature breaks our spiritual heart. And whenever I say a broken heart, you're probably thinking about your first crush. How many of you thought of that? (laughs) Or maybe even a disappointment or failed marriage. Or maybe even a loved one who has broken your heart. A child or a family member that's estranged. What happens when we have a broken heart? Did you think and behave perfectly rash when you had your broken heart? You do stupid stuff, right? Like, um, I think she might be cheating on me, and so I'll let her cheat first, so, you know, right? You do stupid stuff, like my adult child hadn't returned my call in a week, I'm just going to write him out of my will, right? You do stupid stuff, and that's what we do when our heart's broken, we're separated from God. We do stupid stuff. We act rashly. We act in rebellion to God. We sin. And so our problem is that our heart is broken. Sin is when you choose your will instead of God's will and purpose for your life. Wesley, in his original sermon, continued on and said, excuse me, his sermon on original sin says, they know not that all men were empty of all good, all filled with all manner of evil. They were wholly ignorant of their entire deprivation of the whole human nature, of every man born into the world. 
in every faculty of his soul, not so much those particular vices which reign in particular persons, but of the general flood of atheism, idolatry, of pride, and self-will. I often say, as a pastor, repentance is not so much you saying so long to sin as you saying so long to self. Right? Because sin is when you're arguing with God over, no, 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 God, I got this. Right? God has commanded, don't do this, and you're like, no, 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 I think I know best, I'm going to do it. <laughs> right? Or God says, do this, and you're like, Tch. God, I don't need your wisdom in my finances. I don't need your wisdom in my relationships. I'm going to keep doing it, <laughs> you know. And so sin is the result of our selfishness, which results from our broken spiritual heart. You need the cure, therefore, for a broken heart. And once you have that cure, once you've given up selfishness, your sin or rebellion against God will stop. So number one, take Christ over self to heal your broken heart. Number two, take Christ over self to fact check your deceitful heart. To fact check your deceitful heart. Verse 21 reads, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Some of you may have heard this passage from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It comes from chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is. So if you or anybody else gives you advice, just follow your heart. The Bible says, <clears throat> right? Your heart will lead you further and further away from God. Jesus echoes this in Mark chapter 7. It says, for within... Out of a person's heart comes every evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. That is what defile you. Y'all said, some of you are um, do-it-yourselfers. Are there any tech gurus? Anybody just love technology? Nobody? Well, I think technology is kind of like you either love it or hate it. You say that, but every one of you has got a fancy iPhone or something like that, right? Whether you love it or hate it, you probably know the term software bug. Y'all know those? Right? It's something that's written in there that's a mistake that no matter what input you give it, it's going to give you the wrong answer. Like it might show up in a, if you got a spreadsheet program, you type in the numbers and hit crunch the numbers and it outputs the wrong answer, right? Like there's a mistake in its calculation. It might be something that whenever you use the device, it like locks up the screen. That's probably what you've experienced at least a time or two. In the worst case, it might be something that exposes you to somebody to come in and hack your system and steal all your information or literally steal your money. If your heart were a computer program, a, a tech gadget, it has a software bug. 
it is inherently sinful and deceitful. And if you trust it, you will wind up in a broken life. It will produce the wrong answer if you trust your heart instead of God. It will produce the sin that keeps bubbling up in your life instead of following God. No matter how hard you try, it just keeps producing the wrong answer. And you need to, what do you get, a software upgrade? Take the new version where God, Jesus, comes in and writes or rewrites the code of your heart where you can listen to God instead of your deceitful Heart, you need to take Christ, number two, to fact check your deceitful heart. Number three, they so long to sin, take Christ over self to win as a team. To win as a team. Romans 7, 23, and then the first part of 25 reads, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. More than a new knowledge, or maybe even more knowledge, you need a new power in you. And that power is only present in an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. We're fighting a power that was embedded in us from birth, that we inherited began with Adam and Eve and their original sin and was passed on to each one of us. And then we, in our lives, the Bible says, have all sinned. And in that, we have all propagated this and it's fighting a battle against sin that we cannot win. No human being has ever defeated that. We need an allegiance, an alliance with Christ who is the only one who's defeated both death and sin. Any basketball fans in the room? Got a few basketball fans. Anybody know the game of basketball? Do y'all know what the term ball hog is? You know that? Anybody ever been accused? (laughs) No. Well, you know, a ball hog is somebody that no matter where they're at on the floor, if they get the ball, they're looking to shoot it. No matter how open somebody else is, they're looking to shoot it. And imagine you were in that circumstance where you were the ball hog and the coach put you on the bench and said, okay, it's time for you to learn your lesson. Stop being a ball hog. And then when you had served your discipline and you got back into the game and the time was running out and you got the ball and you're 35 feet from the goal and there's 10 seconds, you're like, ooh, I better shoot it. And you miss. And you lose the game, and at the end of the game, there's two of your buddies on the team down there that were wide open. You could have just, and they could have, and scored and won. Ball hog. If defeating sin was the analogy of a basketball game, Jesus is the teammate standing under the goal win you the game, and you're sitting there with the ball in your hand saying, I gotta shoot this. Miss, miss, miss. And when it comes down to it in your life and death and your eternity at stake, you're sitting there hogging the ball, and Jesus is wide open with a 100% chance of making that layup and winning the game, and you're saying, nope, I'm gonna shoot this one. 
I know best and I can make it myself. I got this. And you miss. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. If you've got breath in you, there's a chance for you to pass the ball to me and I'm going to make it. He might even do one of those, right? Slam duck at home and win the game. In fact, the Bible promises that if you will pass the ball, your will to Jesus is a guaranteed win. He's defeated sin, he's defeated death, and he'll bring you along to the championship. Disney World, in heavenly terms, right? That's where you go after you get the championship. Jesus says, he passed me the ball. I got you, I've got this team, I've got us. We can win. You'll say so long, sin, and take Christ over yourself and win as a team. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the, the blessing and truth of salvation through Jesus. God, I thank you for the, the good news that that is to each one of us. Every person has sinned. God, as we wrestle with that, as we really wrestle with, is it my way or God's way? God, I pray that you would help us to see that our heart is broken. We've reacted rashly and rebelliously and sinfully. God, that the only cure is from Jesus. God, I pray that you would give each one of us a heart to say that for the first time or again. Jesus, I put my faith in you. No, I've sinned. Know your death is a sacrifice for that sin. Know your resurrection defeated death. Sin is hold in my life. Put my faith in you. I repent of my sin. I put my faith in you. As best I know how, I follow you. I give you the ball of my life in Jesus. In Jesus' holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again, and God bless.